Welcome to Nota Bene. Here we are. A, uh, another episode kind of from Venice. We're, I mean, we're from Venice. We are in the fucking heart of Venice. Our special guest, Dean Kissick. Uh, Hello. From Spike Magazine, also in Venice. What's going on, Dean? Uh, I'm good. I just had a cappuccino, uh, stood at the bar in uh, Campo San Luca, and I, I had a quick cappuccino, and while I was doing that, I read Jason Farrago's um, early New York Times review, his kind of pre-review of the Biennale, which was I yeah, read it as good, well. I thought, and very on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed to be on point, but I was like, I wanted more. And then he drops halfway through the article that the real review is coming tomorrow. I know. What a flex. Um, what a flex. <laughs> totally flex. Like, look at how many column inches I get in the paper of record. No problem. Um, so we wanted to have Dean on to give us uh, a somewhat more intellectual take on what's been going on there in Venice than either Nate or I can provide. Uh, I'm obviously once removed, although, as Dean kind of alluded to in, in a way in his most recent column, like because everything's so mediated, like I feel like I've seen the Venice Biennale, even though I haven't seen the Venice Biennale in any real sense, mm-hmm. um, because I've been seeing it in a mediated way through everybody's um reviews yes but you know instagram i mean i i know where everything is and what everything looks like and i feel like it when i do see it in person will be a bit of a sense of deja vu but since you guys have seen it what are your first takes and i think we should kind of focus uh, the beginning part at least on the on chichilia's show uh and then we can expand from there to ancillary projects and the national pavilions mm-hmm. well dean i ran into you there and you had some takes that were formulating have they fermented now <laughs> um I think I think it's a very good show. That would be that would be my um, main takeaway. I think it's very good. Uh, I'd recommend people to come see it. I think it's enjoyable, and I think it um, partakes in a lot of trends that are things I complain about a lot. A lot of things I don't really like about where contemporary art is. It it kind of partakes in all those trends, but. Um, manages to make something beautiful out of them, uh, which is very impressive. And also does a great job of tying that stuff back with contemporary art, with very contemporary art. So even though it's an exhibition that's full of um, old art or art that looks old, but art that has a very kind of craft-based aesthetic, Um, often like kind of archaeological or even ancient aesthetic and that's very often focused on kind of um, you know like world art like non-western canonical aesthetics and um, ways of making it it has all of that craft all of that um, tradition but also it's it's full of very contemporary art and lots of cyborg art what I would actually, um, lots of kind of post-humanism, even accelerationism, and it ties those two, those two kind of directions, which seem completely opposite together, uh, into, into one kind of coherent, uh, quite magical exhibition. So it's very, it's very impressive. I haven't seen that done before. I want to get into some of that post-humanism and, and futurism, as you, as you call it. But first, I want to just um, cycle back to something you mentioned you said it is full of a type of art that you've dismissed previously in print. Do you want to elucidate for those who might not be close readers of the Spike magazine, kind of what you mean by that? Well, there's um, there's this real obsession with craft and tradition 
um, in art right now. And which is fine, but I don't like it when that kind of uh, occludes any attempts to make something that's new, like to, to find a new aesthetic or a new way of making or um, occludes any kind of new media, new technology. Um, there's also like, uh, I mean, the main obsession in biennial curation, I think, and in much of art in general, it, it's all about the the kind of underrepresented voice or the underrepresented voices from the past. Uh, like there's a real um, focus on, you know, people really focus on like trying to find non-white artists. Um, this this exhibition does that a lot, but it actually I think the main focus is, is clearly on like really um, focusing on female artists and celebrating female artists and putting them front and center. Um, Again, all of that is fine, but it, it, it sometimes leads to um, an approach where people care more. People seem, people can seem to have this attitude where art derives value or quality from the identity of, its, of the person who made it rather than the actual artwork itself. So, and when it comes to the market, there's a certain almost colonialism to that, I would say, where the, yeah. the bodies or the, the labor of others of the other is then commodified, uh, both in terms of musicological sense, put, being put on display, and also commodified in the ching-ching kind of sense, dollars and cents. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. It, it can look very patronizing, or it can look very cynical. But when the art is good, you know, I think, and this exhibition is a good example, it's, it's full of good art, so it shows you something new. What are some of the practices or, or, or participants that you saw as moving things forward in terms of an engagement with a, a post-humanism or, or even a futurism, a, the, the notion of possibility of beyond the present moment? <clears throat> um, yeah, what were the highlights? Well, highlights, in, I mean, in, in terms of like, I'm thinking of like post-humanism, uh, there's the Tishan Su. Um, mm -hmm has has some great kind of war works and sculpture like table sculptures in there but that kind of aesthetic that he has uh there's just there's a lot of stuff like that there's a lot of kind of cyborg bodies um there's also a a because there's there's also historical shows embedded into the main exhibition so there's one historical show of uh, cyborg. I forget exactly what it's called, but it has, uh, I think it's called Seduzione della Cyborg. It's like the seduction of the cyborg, but it's looking at historical practices from like Weimar, German theater, and women's bodies as cyborgs, um, prosthetics, this kind of thing. There's just, there's a lot of uh, cyborg aesthetics, but it's kind of connected, but there's also a lot of old chimeric like mythical renderings of humans and animals blending into one another so there's kind of a long it kind of ties it all together into this lineage of transformation which is one of the curator's uh stated themes i mean overall she's uh she, she meaning chichilia has stated that you know and others have written about the show in in the lead up to it as being a look at the surreal but it but 
but rested from the notion of surreal of a particular historical avant-garde movement and moment and trying to look at surrealism, a notion of something beyond real, beyond looking for the sublime, perhaps, uh, that's occurred throughout the 20th and into the 21st century. Did we see this actually come to pass within the exhibition itself? Like, is, is how, how does surrealism play out? Well, um, I think it's, I think the show is, does have this magical effect on you. Um, something, one of the things I really like art to do is to be enchanting or to somehow re-enchant the world, re-enchant how we look at life. And I do think it has, yeah, I do think it has that effect. I guess in terms of uh, works that maybe have surreal qualities that I think that I liked very much, some of my very favorite works um, of the new stuff, there's an installation by an artist you probably know, but I've never encountered this person before, uh, Raffaella Vogel, who's a German artist, um, young, young German artist who has this crazy installation where like it's, it's a giant model, anatomical model of a, of a penis, but like a kind of from the inside, like a, Great work. a model of a penis. Love it. Yeah, re really cool with like all these diseases labeled on it. And then the penis is, is being led on a procession by all these, um, a procession of white kind of skeletal giraffes made in a completely different style. Um, there's also some weird animal skins hanging from the ceiling with uh, mystical, magical painting on it. That's quite a, that's quite a surreal scene, I think, Almost, kind of Dali-esque actually, but just incredible contemporary sculpture. There's also a great film by Diego Marcon, uh, Italian artist. I was speaking to one of his gallerists or um, one of his colleagues last night. They told me he's the only straight white artist and male artist in the whole exhibition. I don't know if that's true or not. But, it but might be true. I can't might, that that sounds highly plausible. But he's Italian, so it doesn't count. Like, because you know, he's Italian. Um, but but he, he made a great film where it's his, it's his family and prosthetics. It's a it's a father who's just murdered his whole family, and they all have these crazy prosthetics, and they're all singing an opera about it. Beautiful work. You know, it's interesting. Um, Cecilia curated the Italian Pavilion, uh, I believe, in the last iteration of the Biennale. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always seen that, or not always, but in thinking about the run-up to the show, I saw that as a prefiguring of a lot of the same um, uh, movements. Also, I thought it was like clearly her audition to take on this role, um, because it was an over-the-top uh, pavilion, highly theatrical. Um, you got lost within it. I remember an incredible, I believe, Pavel Althalmer, um kind of um, alien dissection lab, um, and really, really interesting, but like a dis... A, a dissonant thing where your body moving through the space and engaging it was very different than most art exhibits. How was the installation of this? Does it feel like most biennials where you go through the Arsenale and it's kind of a very linear thing um, because of the structure of the building and then you have uh, the pavilion in the Giardini. Um, what was the exhibitions feel like? Did it hold together as an aesthetically installed uh, situation? What do you think, Nate? I thought that the way that it was installed actually was one of the strongest things. I thought that it was gorgeously installed. There was uh, a lot of breathing room. There was, uh, you know, a real 
priority put on making the work look great. I thought that the Arsenale looked better than I'd ever seen it, the way that, that the walls were constructed. Um, but, but I don't know if that really vibes with the theme of the, the show necessarily. I think that's just Cecilia's gift for making art look fantastic. Um, that was definitely present at the Italian Pavilion five years ago um, that she curated. Um, but I don't know what works really, really benefited from that necessarily. It just made for a pleasurable experience going through it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it's a show you can see fairly quickly, mm-hmm. yeah, even though it's full of work. A, it's it's very visual. No, I mean, like, but, but I think I mean I think it's I think it's good to have a show that is seeable. You have this gigantic exhibition, hundreds of artists in it. Um, it's it's good that stuff isn't too dense and overwhelming. It's good that you can go there and in half a day and really have a look at everything, like get a pretty good feel of what the whole show is about. Um, yeah, it's very, it's, it's very visual and pretty much all the video works are hidden away. Almost all the video works are kind of put off in their own little room and you have to go in there and see it. So they could have been given a bit more space, but but I can also see the logic of like really focusing on this big um, linear show that you can walk around and take in pretty quickly and then you can dive into videos if you want. Uh, the one room I found, my, my favorite room in the show, I should, I should look it up quickly. There was a, so, okay, you enter the room. This is, I think, the second room in uh, second room in the Giardini. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, there's a small kind of painting or drawing by a Ukrainian artist, I think, called Maria Gramachenko of a scarecrow. This weird magical being on a wall. That wall kind of fills the doorway. So you see the scarecrow. Then you go around the wall into the big central room, and it's all uh, rosemary truckle tapestries on all three, four walls, and these colorful Andra Usuta sculptures like filling the room. So just Trockel and Usuta, and it looks so good. It looks so, so beautiful. It looks amazing. Yeah. yeah, that room has been a star on the gram. Oh, good. Um, it should be. Certainly. It looks even yeah. better yeah, in person, I, I, Ben. I'm sorry, but you need yeah. to see it in person. And not, not, really. to t- not, not to talk up my own book, but those Ursada sculptures look fantastic. Um, yeah, they look amazing. They look amazing. Yeah, I mean, truly, truly a, a, a fantastic artist. And um, what was the? We'll get into the vibe of the nightlife and the city at large. But uh, as you guys were going through in the preview days, what was the vibe? I know it was very busy. There were lots of lines. Like, did it feel more American than usual? More European? Um, what was the kind of uh, in the exhibition itself? Like, how was the energy? Well, they have in in the Arsenale. For some reason, they've hired like um, they've hired like a private security force called the Raiders Vigilanza. So they, they have yeah. like a, a they have a vigilante army. Yeah, really intense um, kind of really intense private police force, a private biennial army, which all wear these uniforms which say Raiders on the back in giant letters, and they just like kind of uh, just constantly march through 
at fast pace the exhibition like shouting at people to put their masks on and that that adds like quite a that adds like it's kind of a bad vibe you know like it's, well, it's, I, it's, I it's very dissonant with the show I wonder I wonder if they're affiliated with the Wagner group at all I mean we're in the age of private armies uh, yeah yeah, wow. yeah yeah uh yeah uh that's true I mean the the sort of masking policies here in uh the most serene republic are anything but serene yeah, I mean Nate, you, you you're you're in public right now. Nate is Nate is dialing in from the bar uh, or lounge of the Bauer Hotel. I believe he just got his drink finally delivered, sipping a little Negroni. You don't have a mask on. That's legit. Well, I'm sitting at a table. They 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 are okay with with you being at your space, and uh, I can't I don't I can't drink a Negroni and wear a mask at the same time. That's just impossible. But uh, but you know, in the exhibition spaces in all the museums, all the galleries, uh, you have to wear a mask. It's just you know. Uh, you know, not an option, uh, not to, um, and they, they really do enforce it. Probably because there are people like me who weren't responsible enough to not get on the airplane when I got tested positive <laughs> for COVID and decided to just go over anyway. Well, that remains to be seen, I guess. I mean, yes, there could be massive. We'll, we'll see if Venice party. becomes a super spreader. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, I had a, a couple more semi-serious questions, but of course they're escaping me now. That I'm thinking about Negronis and masks. Um, I can. I, re- I remembered another surrealist artist. Yeah, uh, artist I've never heard of before. Who, uh, who I think was brilliant. I had a question for you guys as well, but but the artist I thought was really good. Good one for the art advisors. Perhaps you guys know him, but he's a Japanese guy making work in the fifties and sixties. And <clears throat> here we go. His name is Tatsuo Ikeda. Uh, no, though his was good. Tatsuo Ikeda, Tatsuo Ikeda, and he made no these new information to me. Just yeah, me like too. small, small drawings, like weird twirling abstracts with eyes and uh, look kind of Geiger-esque. I guess that's something else we could say. There's a lot of Geiger-esque, H.R. Geiger-like work in the Biennale. That's kind of what I'm getting at with posthumanism. So there really is. A lot Al- of Alex Solomon was gothic- very. A slightly gothic influence, posthumanism, perhaps, with a yeah. dark edge to it. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess now, now that you say that, it makes sense. Like the Biennale is uh, loosely inspired by this Leonora Carrington children's book, and Leonora Carrington is the very, the kind of gothic English surrealist, uh, English Mexican surrealist par excellence. Do we think many people, ourselves included, have read that children's book in the lead up to this? Yeah. No, it's, why would they read that? I want. I want to read it. It was. Only, it was only published a few years ago, but um, yeah, I'd be interested to know, to know what's going on with it. I like the title, "The Milk of Dreams," but some people, people, some people think it's a repulsive title. Um, I'm surprised that you haven't read it, Dean. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get Nate and Lucy a copy as a as a baby gift, I guess. Well, okay. Do we need to read this thing to get to unlock the secrets of the the, the biennial? I don't know. No, of course. Well, you bring to it whatever you whatever you have. Like maybe you have read it, maybe you haven't. You bring. Yeah, I don't think you need to. Un, you know, I think a notion that any exhibit has uh, secrets to be unlocked and a text outside the exhibition is the key to that is probably not a correct reading. But I don't know. I lo- I looked at all the pictures. I looked at the book, but it was in Italian, so I couldn't read it. But I'll, I'll get a I'll get an English copy. <laughs> <laughs> um, how lux has it been in Venice? This go about are people pulling out the stops? 
Well, I mean, mm. Dean, last time I saw you, we were at a very nice lunch yesterday. Oh yeah, that was very nice. Yeah, we had a we went to the Gladstone lunch, um, which was on the terrace. Uh, where was it on the terrace of? The Danieli. The Danieli. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, terrace of the Danieli. One of the greatest hotels in the world. Nate, I'm glad that that seat of mine opened up for you at that lunch. It opened up. <laughs> uh, we got to hobnob with some very nice uh, collectors from Bangkok. Is that right, yeah. Nate? They, uh, they run a museum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They were great. Um, chopped it up with a number of artists who were there. You know, Louise Lawler. Uh, obviously, Sterling was there. Sterling Ruby was there. Um, Joseph Kasuth was there, which is very exciting. Random. He lives Random. in Venice now. But what about the what about the, the the nightlife? Like I know there was like a Chanel party. Did you guys attend this? I did. I, how was the Chanel party? Uh, it was a lot of Tilda Swinton. There was her and her daughter, and she was just like very loud. I so I can it, do with I can do with an awful lot of Tilda. Like I don't think it, Tilda Swinton's too much would not be enough. Yeah, I, I think I think. To, Andrew Russell, and he was like, the last time I saw Tilda, she was in a box at MoMA. So, you know, you know onward and upward, Tilda. I, I think the nightlife, one of the reasons I really particularly wanted to come to this Venice was I felt like this week was going to be one of the most decadent weeks in, in history. I, I thought after like two plus years or pent up and suddenly, finally, we'd be set free and all this art world and Euro trash um, circuit and international party set would all descend on Venice and it would be lavish and kind of depraved beyond words. But that really hasn't been the vibe is is my feeling. And a lot of these parties, people put on their um, invites like seven till late and the party's over by 11.30 p.m. It's absolutely crazy. It's deranged. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen at least where I've been going. I, I haven't seen the kind of the mania I've seen before. Um, yeah, haven't seen haven't the darkness no, or the exuberance. I, I, I mean, that's what I'm. I, I'm sad to hear it's not there. And honestly, being in the U.S., usually I wake up right away and scan through my stories because oftentimes on a decadent European week, if you're in the U.S., you can wake up and catch snippets of people's Instagram stories before they wake up and delete them uh, because they realize that it was a bad look. Uh, but I yeah. haven't seen much of that. I haven't seen any late night DJ booths. I haven't seen any people dancing on tables. None of that. It's a little disappointing, guys. Well, I kind of blame you both. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. talked to Mark Spiegler, who was planning on going to some crazy all-night like DJ thing last night. Uh, I, I don't know if he did. I was home by, by 12.30, though. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I've been going home early for other reasons, primarily. You know, my wife is very pregnant. But... Um, but I don't know if there would be opportunities to really go out, even if I wanted to. Right, Dean? Like, I mean, there aren't yeah, not really late night things. I mean, there's some stuff going on, but yeah, I think not as much as you. Things seem, seems to be like um, ending earlier. Venice has maybe turned on tourists a bit more than even before, and has been very strict on like noise restrictions on the island. Um, no, people, yeah, people, it does feel like the party set's wings have been clipped a bit, which is... Can you just swing by the, like, the, the, um, uh, can you swing by the patio of, like, the Bower on any given evening at, like, 10, 30, 11 and, and bump into everybody there? We've, we've been on the Bower. I've been on that terrace, uh, a couple times. 
Yeah. I mean, this is like, uh, this is, uh, I was kind of mentioning this briefly to Nate over lunch, but I was, um, I was there on the terrace with my friend Igor, uh, Igor, who's arts editor of The Spectator. And he, he comes over to me and he says, oh, you know, he's kind of laughing. So some people are after him because he knocked over their drinks on the table, something like this. The terrace. Then, then like a minute later, this, this police just come out onto the terrace and like flash their badge and take him away. Like it's a kind of, it's, it's, it's a bad vibe, you know, it's not like a kind of free for all decadent. Anyway, Igor's free now. Igor was back on the terrace within like five minutes, but I've never seen anything like that happen. That's, that's legitimately really frightening. It feels like a true vibe kill. Yeah. 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 Um, they've also, just, they've mean, also, see that. they've also yeah. put prices up at the Bauer a lot. I think it's now it's now like 40 euros a drink for like a lot of drinks and they've kind of instituted some kind of token system so you have so you know I was with Selvi friend of the show Selvi May the other night she bought like oh, yeah. eight eight tokens I think it costs 320 euros and then you just get oh. tokens you feel like a child and you have to go to the bar and give them a little token to get your yeah, that's like a university party in the U.S. or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's very silly. It's very silly. Bauer, I've definitely seen more decadence and more kind of mania at the Bauer than this year. Even on the Bauer, it's it's still pretty, it's pretty relaxed. Now, the fact that the the Biennale is opening in Europe while Europe is at war. Has, has that vibe expressed itself in any noticeable way? Not at all. Not yeah, like no, there, no, is, no there, is, there is no presence whatsoever in the exhibition, in the people going, anything like that whatsoever. There is a, um, like there's no gesture. I didn't see the press conference, but I, I'd say there's pretty much like no mention of the war anywhere, almost no visibility. There is a big Ukrainian pavilion it wasn't open when i went but or it's or it's the pinchuk the pinchuk art center yeah. they have a exhibition which i'm going to go to tomorrow i guess and so they've that's off-site but they've covered the building in a huge ukrainian flag and there's a zelensky president zelensky quote written on this flag on the side of the building so i'll go see what's in there but that um that i mean there was, a, there was a big there was a big um uh benefit auction last night that Simone de Puri did. Yes. Uh, it looked like a dinner for about 300 where supposedly they raised some money uh, for, for refugees. But you didn't refugees. feel that presence. That was like a black tie dinner that like, you know, 100 people went to. It's not like everyone was talking about that. It was just sort of like something that Peter Brandt and Ivy Getty will bring. Peter Brandt Jr. Mm -hmm. is, is de Puri at Phillips? Is that where he is? No, he hasn't no. been there for ages. He was there when I was at Phillips, but he's been okay. gone on his own for okay. probably close to eight years now, something like that, Nate? Yeah, something like that. He does, like, charity auctions. He's, I've seen him do the Swiss Institute auction. He's, he's a very funny auctioneer. I'd like he's, to see how he handles, he's, he's like, a Ukrainian benefit auction. Uh, Simone's an, an incredible person, but he's basically, at this point, a walker for a certain type of rich lady. And okay. he loves it. He loves that. Oh, and he's great at it. Yeah. He's a beautiful man, dressed beautifully with the most impeccable manners you could possibly imagine. An old European that really touches on my romance of what old aristocratic Europeans should be like. Mm -hmm. You ever read his book? Simone's no. Book? It's great. It's called The Auctioneer. Uh, he compares his uh, uh, divorce from uh, Louise Bluin to 9-11 <laughs> on the second page. 
<laughs> I think all divorces probably feel like 9-11 to the parties included, right? A total rearrangement of what life is. Um, Just one one more thing. So on the yeah. um, that pinchuk, the kind of giant Ukrainian flag, giant Ukrainian pavilion, it's, it's directly opposite the canal from the Dutch pavilion, which is off-site this year. And the Dutch pavilion, it's, it's this kind of body, positive, body positivity orgy site. What, um, what uh, Jason Frago described as, as one of a variety of, quote, genderqueer cuddle puddles that are in this exhibition. And it's so, it's so surreal, like you're in this church, um, there's like people walking, there's people like guys fucking trees in the forests and talking about how important Shit. it is to kind of love your body and um, experience pleasure and all the kind of types of pleasure a being with a penis can experience that don't just involve the penis and then it's What's in a church the and there's all, the all this like pillows on the floor. Well, it's a bit, it's a bit kind of uh, serious, but it's just, it's just funny to have that like real... Um, my body, my body, ideology, pavilion, in a church, firstly, like they're all naked, fucking one another, and then to have it like directly opposite this gigantic Zelensky quote, like it's very surreal, <laughs> it's very Venetian. I'll there stick you, with there Paul, you have it. I'll, I'll stick with Paul McCarthy when it comes to tree fucking, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not even the only like tree fucking video in the Biennale. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but but these things, yeah, Paul McCarthy's kind of doing it in like, uh, it's more, it's humorous, right? It's kind of surreal, but this is like very serious. It's just like fucking trees is good and important and you should like love yourself and fuck trees, you know, well, because we it, deserve it. Well, Earth Day, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Happy Earth Day, it, guys. As you guys both, as you guys both call in from a city that is sinking because, as a human race, we, we we've declined to do anything to combat climate change. Mm -hmm. There's a good um, um, Mariana Simnet film in the Arsenale, uh, British artist Mariana Simnet. That's, that's quite uh, Paul McCarthy-esque, I'd say. And it's it's all these kind of pigs and bondage people crawling around and attacking one another. Um, yes, that's good. good. That's good to hear because from afar, it seems the exhibition appears to be both sensual and lacking of any bodily sex in a way from everything I've seen. It seems very, um, I would say, pretty or almost precious. Is that, a, is that a good reading or is that just because I'm so mediated? Yeah, I think it's a good it's reading. It's definitely safe. Very safe. I mean, you know, all yeah, like Dean said, all the, the sort of body positive tree fucking is like, just you know very safe it's 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 like not really adventurous treatment there's i will a, say you, there's a trigger warning i wrote down actually there's some <laughs> there's a trigger warning before you enter the precious pavilion precious okayoman and there's a sign on the wall it says uh, si signala la presenza di lepidoteri which is uh, we report the presence of butterflies so <laughs> You kind of know before you go in. But it's <laughs> Those that are triggered by butterflies, I suppose. Yeah, a very small subset, but it's good that we're looking out for them. Um, I will say, you know, uh, a lot of terrible meme accounts uh, make fun of this. Meme accounts that don't know what they're talking about, but it is true. The PDFs have been pinging into my inbox over the past few days, highlighting uh, works that are included in either offsite or in the Biennale itself. What were some of the more expensive we ones? 
I don't really want to get into which artists these were uh, for professional reasons of my own because I need to continue to get these PDFs. Um, but uh, it, it's always a bit uh, a bit interesting to see what is potentially for sale. So, uh, what do you think, Nate? What are the kind of what are the key things to buy from this show? Like, I mean, two obvious ones I'd I'd throw out would be like uh, Charlene von Hell paintings, yeah, and um, this incredible huge Jacqueline Humphreys painting I was gonna say like Jacqueline a, Humphreys that's mm -hmm. like yeah I mean you saw that and you're like damn like a billionaire would easily buy this right now like you know, no whatever. comment <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful piece in person like that's it that's yeah get up close to that it just looks amazing it really does no, it looks is, fantastic there's a fair amount of painting in the shows which is not always the case in the BNLI because a, a painting is sometimes a little bit tough in the spaces there uh, but it seems like they look pretty good. I'm sure we'll, we'll see these Christina Quarles paintings, you know, on the walls of, of some, you know, multi-billionaires soon, for sure. That's a good, good treasure hunt. Yeah, there's there's lots of big works by, you know, painters that are really having a moment, you know, and they're given like a, essentially given like an exhibition of their own, like a room of their own. Mm -hmm. Um, what about fashion? What are people wearing? And any differences? Kind of the same black gallerina outfits. It's a little uh, cold. Saying... Yeah, it's very cold. Wet so, today. so the, the the best dressed people were wearing like Prada trenches, which you know looked fantastic. Raph Simmons, who you know designs Prada with uh, Misha Prada, has been wearing the same Prada jacket for the last four days, and it's probably the most beautiful jacket I've ever seen in my life. It's just so beautiful. I've seen a lot of nice leather leather coats actually on mm -hmm. on men and women expensive looking leather coats looks yeah good. buttery leather is having a moment yeah yeah nice buttery 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 leather or also kind of treated like patent leather very like shiny leathers uh just lots of balenciaga though it hasn't changed much still like probably dominated by balenciaga <clears throat> i just love seeing what the ladies wear at these events it makes me very happy Mm -hmm. um and certain and a certain type of like european euro trash gentleman like that's a fashion sense that i find uh interesting to me because it's very foreign and something i aspire to i think Absolutely. i think for maybe like a kind of beautiful italian um woman of a certain age you know there's a lot of kind of <clears throat> uh like walking through without the mask on and that's that's quite a powerful look there's a lot of that in arsenal you know not like tucked under the just like mask off like great outfit expensive shoes just kind of marching through the arsenale with a sense of purpose and that's very yeah. striking looks pretty good yeah. to be honest rules don't apply to rich people no the carbonier are not going after you know the guys in the nice loafers without wearing a mask yeah yeah that's oh, which is sick book. which is which is awesome which is great i support that uh, that's all the questions I have. Dean, did you have any further questions for Nate and I? I know you had some, you mentioned some market questions you had. Yeah, I I did. So this Biennale, um, like a lot of other recent shows, you know, it has kind of discoveries, right? Like archaeological kind of painters from the past who probably never had a moment. Like there's there's so many of these people and I haven't, heard of any of them, but just to give one example, for instance, there's someone called uh, Celestine Faustin, and it's okay. an artist from Haiti, I think. And 
and she painted this inc incredible painting of the Garden of Eden. Um, I saw that. It was this, and this was in like made in 1980, I think. But there's so much of this sort of stuff, and I, I could be wrong, but I feel like a lot of this stuff probably never had a moment, was probably worth very little in a financial sense until really recently. And, and so what I want to ask you is, is there a whole industry now of kind of art advisor or secondary market people or people who just go around discovering artists from the 70s and 80s from the global south and then flipping them or bringing them to galleries' attention? Yeah, I'm not sure if I would call it an entire industry, but there's certainly people that really sort of seem to specialize in this in finding uh, forgotten things in certain galleries that you see introducing them. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it has to be... You can try and put all the, all the pieces in the right place on the board, but there's a little bit to chance about what catches and what doesn't. So there has to be a little bit of a spray and pray. Not each one is going to mm -hmm. have success. And it, it comes down to certain, you know, is there enough work? You know, there can be too little work or it's too diffuse or it's been locked in attics and degraded and, you know, th you know sold at swap meets and thrift stores and whatnot. Uh, so there has to be like a concentrated cache of it that can be controlled, that isn't too diffuse and out there. Um, it has to be good. But, you know, there is a certain, and I would say, you know, something I brought up earlier, there's a certain colonialism to that mindset of like finding the thing, you know, yeah. and, and seeding it in the right places, getting a couple of collectors interested, a curator or two, and then the right gallery. And the right gallery sort of makes all the difference. Um, mm -hmm. There's this artist in the Arsenal named Roberto Hildemontes, who uh, a few years ago was just like making sort of paintings for himself on this tiny uh, Mexican island called La Penita, but previously had been a part of the LA art scene in the late 80s, early 90s. And he was rediscovered sort of by Cecilia and then Craig Manzudo took him on and now he's like mm. a star of the Biennale and I think he'll have a real market now. And so that sort of thing is happening, certainly. It's definitely a play um, with these sort of like newly discovered artists from various parts of the world. Uh, I, I, I know that there will be a market for his work because it's actually very market friendly. It was just totally, you know, undiscovered for so long. Yeah, they're great looking beach scenes. I remember that Curry Manzuto brought them out to East Hampton last summer. That's right. Uh, yep. And we're we're seeding the market there with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, the, that the, res the resort markets are still important. Palm Beach, East Hampton, etc. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, well, all right, guys. Nate, it seems like you're almost done with your drink over there, and. Uh, Dean, I'm sure you have to swing in the evening. What do you guys have in store for tonight? What's the dinner plans? There's there's a little there's a few things going on. I need to finish some work, but Dean, let's link up. Uh, there's a pace party that we can go to. Uh, oh yeah. Or we can just, just you know that might be fun. All sorts of things. That yeah that that would be nice. I'm gonna yeah go for dinner with my girlfriend and then maybe we'll go out after. Yeah, pace party sounds good. There's, I, there's a lot of the stuff I'm going going the stuff I know about tonight doesn't seem super fun, but we'll see. Uh, I have another recommendation though before we go. Yeah. I just saw. So. Uh, I just went to this offsite show Penumbra, which is a show of eight videos in a. In darkness in a church. And I went there specifically because I was recommended by Selvi and also by Igor from The Spectator. Like they both, they said, you've got to go see this James Richards video. 
this James Richards video is amazing. So I've literally just come right from the church. But yeah, there's a James Richards video in there of about fairly short, maybe 15 minutes, almost, I don't even know how to describe it, a, a variety of weird digital effects and weird scenes, um, a lot of just footage of very ordinary things like feet and legs put through like crazy effects and then shifting into a completely different mode into like endoscopy cameras, into like collages of found objects, great soundtrack, like great imagery. And that's, it's, uh, it lived up to the hype, I say. I'm glad I was recommended it. And I will, I'll recommend, I'll pass it on like that's if, if anyone has time in Venice, go check out Penumbra. It's very cool. All right. Excellent. Go see it, everybody. Um, all right. Sorry we couldn't do this in person, but I'm glad we got it together. Thanks for making the time, Dean. I hope we can do it in New York in person at some point for a broader discussion. Absolutely. Appreciate it. All right. All right. That's see you it. soon. Note to Bene. Right. Out. Note to Bene. Out.